Hey guys, welcome! We are Fox Owens, the podcast guys and races. It's time back! Well done, <laughs> Seth Thomas. Yes. It was welcome, congratulations, Voxology Podcast. I am Daddy Mike. I don't and know how I many do people not... get congratulated on their job so often. I know, it's, it's fantastic. And Seth is the only one that calls me Daddy Mike. Certainly, my wife does not. <laughs> just to just to clarify, we are Christmas break. Yeah, we're on Christmas break, aren't we, buddy? Hey yo, Stafford on screen. Tim Stafford That's is right. on the screen, buddy. Yep. All right, what'd you do today? <laughs> um, I did school. You all done with school? Yep. Did you have a long day or a short day? Short day. Short day today. Yeah. Who did you see today at school? Um, Miss Annie. Yes, but but did you get a like a special guest? Yeah. For Christmas. A lion. No. Oh, the lion. Yes, yeah. the school lion was there. But wasn't Santa there? Yes. Yes? Yeah. <laughs> nice? Yeah. And did you have uh, pancakes for breakfast at school? No. Uh, no? A waffle. Waffle. Oh, Waffles. waffle. He whispered. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, he wa whispered waffle. Sorry. Hey. <laughs> what? Fries pickles. Yep, he just said, guess what? Fries pickles. All right, um, <laughs> Seth. Yeah. What do you want for Christmas? Um, I want Nate Erie's coming. For Nate Christmas Erie's break. coming for Christmas break. That's his older brother. Play hockey. And he wants to play hockey. Oh, yep. so, nice. Right there, he you wants go. Nate and hockey. Are we gonna have? Are we gonna have turkey or ham? Ham. <laughs> no hesitation. <laughs> yeah, she started sailed. a ham movement <laughs> yes. throughout the nation. Oh, all right. And gravy, yes. Now, what do you want to say to everybody? Hey, there was a get up a fight. All right, Seth Erie, well done. Seth has been talking about that all day when he realized he was coming home before mm. we had recorded on a Friday. He it was maybe every fifteen minutes of Tim Staff, Tim Staff, record. <laughs> I love it. Announcements. He's found so, his passion. He has passion. Absolutely, absolutely. It's so great, and he loves it, and we love him. So anyway, thank you, Seth. Hey, everybody! Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. I just want to say I'm thankful uh, to Donald Trump for allowing us to say Merry Christmas again. I'm. <laughs> Very, he has saved Christmas for me. So thank you. Now there was this clip floating around that was like one of his chief things. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, nothing like the war on Christmas every Christmas. It's just wonderful. Um, Tim, first of all, you did something very important today. And we just need to, this isn't, this is, is this is neither tim's troubled times nor tim's triumphant tidings um this <laughs> is partial to tim bits after someone shared the picture of them on yeah they're donut things yeah who doesn't love donut holes yeah i thought tim bits was a slightly inappropriate you know thing but it really it turns out they're food yeah um so we have it's neither one of those but today just tim had a terrific morning that's right and so let's hear it well I mean, I, what was it, a week ago? A week when ago. The internet, the internet crashed for um, trying to get tickets to the new Spider-Man movie. I managed to get one for this morning. So after I got the kids to school and everything, I shuffled the day to go sit in a theater for what ended up being three hours with the commercials and trailers. Yeah. For and no an snacks? that I won't say anything about. Nope. I actually brought like a LaCroix or a LaCroix. LaCroix. As someone said the other day, and some peanut butter pretzels, but I actually had my hands clenched <laughs> for a majority of the film. So wow! I did not drink or eat any of it. Okay, wow! So yeah. there you go. That's all we're going to say. We we yep. have no we spoilers. ruined. Yeah, no spoilers. Um, okay, so that's big. Face on yeah on iTunes reviews. Yes, we got we got critique for spoiling in game. Um. 
on an iTunes review, and we're, we're very sensitive to that ever since. So <laughs> there's a movie. It has Spider-Man and Tim saw it. Those are the, yep. those are the big uh, takeaways. But Tim yep. is, is in a, if you can't tell, he's an incre- in an incredibly good mood. That's right. I'm doing backflips right now. <laughs> and if it sounds like Tim's normal mood, that's exactly the point I'm making. Yep. Or if it sounds like Tim's bad mood, that's, yep, that's pretty much how it goes. (laughs) Um, Tim, Tim is what we call a a stable. Huh? A fixed gear bike. A fixed, oh, that's funny. That's a great (laughs) metaphor. Um, I'm a bike with fat tires, but let's not, let's not go there. (laughs) Um, I want to thank a couple of people before we dive in today. I want to thank Cindy um, for her amazing generosity. I want to thank David and Zach and Blue Heron Ministries, which is a cool name for a ministry, um, for joining our Patreon team this week. Thank you so much for that. As we've said ad nauseum, we are a 501c3 nonprofit crowdfunded organization, and um, the support of our community is epic and so kind and so thoughtful. And for those of you who consider year-end giving and such, um, we are tax deductible. And if you, if you put year and end together and in your mind that says, ooh, Voxology podcast, then fantastic. If you put year end together and it equals something else, that is even better. But we're year here. End. We're ready. What? Uh, nothing. Okay. Perfect. We're, we're a tight ship, ladies and gentlemen. And right. um, It's a Friday. It's the, the it's end of fri- finals. It's yes. the holiday it's, season. Yeah. yeah it's all the things. It's all the things today. Yes. And I was trying to fix my daughter's car. And I am as handy as a piece of wood. Um, I'm just... It's, <laughs> it, it is a source. It literally is a source of insecurity for me. How little I can fix without help and so i was attempting to fix something uh and the step i thought would be the easiest step of the process was the step that befuddled me into just leaving all of the tools in the car and walking away and locking it and um and just sort of sitting and cuddling um a small little bear i have and telling him that he's loved and delighted in and he doesn't have to be he does not have to fix things to be loved by God. So that sounds that fantastic. That's where, so that's where I'm at. <laughs> so happy holidays. Sorry. Yes. Merry Christmas. All right. So what we're going to do today is we're going to put deconstruction to bed. Good we're, night. We're done. We're, somebody wrote on our Facebook page, I don't want to hear this term ever again. Amen. After today. <laughs> <laughs> But because we've spent some time thinking and talking about it, I wanted to put forth uh, some of our thoughts, not just the critique of other thoughts, but our thoughts. Deconstruction was back in the news again in the interwebs with Matt Chandler um, with a little snippet. And again, I don't, man, I didn't know the context. So I don't, I don't crush people for saying sentences in isolation from other sentences. I mean, and we all say crazy things, but his sentence was um, uh, deconstruction, people deconstruct because it's sexy, which sounded a lot, a lot like our friend Josh's street cred sort of, uh, sort of take. <laughs> just to and, get up a notch. And so, yeah. And so I, and so I just want to critique the critique of deconstruction and kind of put forward what, what we think it is because there is a the the biggest confusion seems to be identifying what the heck we're talking about you know what's interesting on this front side just before you start yes um and i don't know what matt chandler if he responded to any of the you know josh interacted with people quite a bit and came on here and graciously had the conversations and trying to you know talk further on the topic i don't know if chandler did it all but i know greg boyd stepped in some stuff also this last week but the something that Greg Boyd did is he came out. You make statements in the public, especially if you have thousands and thousands of people listening to you or reading what you're doing, and they respond. And it's one thing to just ignore it or to just be kind of a an ass about it. But yeah. Boyd did a nice thing where he kind of came right out and was like, 
the way that I said that was, I shouldn't have said it that way and like owned up to, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of power and humility that you don't see that often anymore. Yeah. And I thought that was cool that Boyd was willing to be like, you know, you're right. I should not have done that that way. And, you know, even linked the guy that was leading the critique against what he said. So that was cool. I thought at least absolutely criticism talks. Yeah. I mean, and that's what we loved about Josh so much. Totally. You know, to to receive a bunch of pushback and then to go, oh, okay, let's engage with this and not just yeah. be a pushover because, oh, people don't like me. Yeah. Um, but to genuinely learn and engage, man, we always want to be. I mean, that's that's a beautiful and rare thing. You're absolutely right. So yeah, you can check out Boyd's um, Twitter. Um, yeah, it's the tweets. He, it was a it was a great model for. Um, a public apology when you step into into stuff because we all do and we all will um speaking of stepping into stuff let's talk deconstruction timothy you smell what i'm stepping in i you know what i used to have a dog and yes but i do not any longer and that is wonderful rest in peace ah oh, sweet arlo no he's not dead he is no, with a family he's dead to you <laughs> he was dead to me when we still had him but um, uh, he's with a very loving, a dog-loving family. And so it's, it's, it's glorious. But All dogs do go to heaven. Oh, absolutely. There, there should be a movie about that. So let's talk about what the heck deconstruction is. All right. So I first encountered the term um, from Paul Riquier, who is a French philosopher who specializes in epistemology and phenomenology. And, you know, uh-huh. for those two of you philosophy majors who are out there delivering pizzas with me, um, <laughs> there's a great, phenomenon. So, um, one of the things he talks about, because this was originally applied um, in literary criticism, and one of the things I took away from his introduction to this phrase was the idea of a first innocence and a second innocence when you are reading a text. So when we, when we um, approach a text, we initially approach a text pre-critically, right? We haven't engaged with it before. We just take it as it is. And he calls that um, the first innocence, when we just encounter the, te- the text bare as it is, and however we're responding is however we're responding. Then there is a movement in literary criticism, and, and bro, you speak to this all the time. This is what you teach. Um, called criti- he calls it critical distance, where we step back from a text and we start asking questions. We interrogate it is one of the you know, metaphors that's often used. And, and then there is what he calls a second innocence, where we um, reconnect with the text in a new and more complex way. Now a lot they sound of us like uh, they sound like bad mid '90s Richard Gere movie titles. <laughs> First Innocence, starring Richard Gere and Rene Russo. Critical Distance, part you know, uh, it's just the second of the trilogy, and then Second Innocence. Yes, but a lot of us read that have are, are are struggling through the Bible in exactly this way. We read it with a first innocence. Oh, yes, Adam and Eve and Noah. And, and yes, of course, it says Jesus died and here for my sins and I'm forgiven and boom. And then there is a critical distance that, that some of us seek out and other times it's forced upon us um, by others. And uh, we begin asking, we begin to interrogate the text. And the goal of interrogating the text, at least in the faith tradition of which we're a part, is to come back at it with a, with a second innocence, that we still receive it by faith, we see it as authoritative and inspired, but we're, not, we're aware of all of the humanness in the midst of the text, and that doesn't, that, that doesn't throw us off. Um, we're just aware of it and read it and, and recognize it as a more complex document than what we recognized when we were kind of in our first innocence. Now, the process of deconstruction and literary criticism uh, involves breaking down something, and it can be art, it can be poetry, it can be story, narrative, whatever, 
but you break it down into smaller parts and you see how those parts combine um, in order to understand how something was created and just as importantly, why it was created. So deconstruction uh, is often um, referred to as the, the, the pulling apart of the pieces of a whole in order to understand how they relate to the whole and what are the interrelationships between them. And so very often, you know, um, critical race theory um, uh, and other sort of expressions of deconstruction are the pulling apart of traditions, structures, systems, in order to recognize the power dynamics and tensions that are at play. And, and, and so deconstruction, that, that's where the term comes from. And in that sense, um, that's like not a necessarily- taking apart a column to see the way that the, the pieces inside work, <laughs> what part attaches to what part. I am deconstructing. I was attempting to deconstruct a steering column and I failed miserably. So it is still a hole. Um, and it is also a hole in my heart. You're, st you're still on the cusp of first innocence with the steering column. Well, no, I lost first innocence after 20 minutes of trying to figure <laughs> that out. I'm not into critical distance yet. I'm just into yelling at the steering column. But um, deconstruction is, has moved on, of course, from literary uh, texts to, man, we even deconstruct holidays, right? Columbus Day. Um, I mean, there are all sorts of things that are just in the in the 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 grist for the mill, as they say, um, and and that's part of the reason why there's a big pushback against so much of this, whether it's in gender, or whether it's race, or whether it's whatever. Like it's just exhausting, and it's happening all at once. And there there seems to be no safe space from which just to stand and um, you know understand things, and so so. When we get when we take that term and apply it to the Bible, um, the issue becomes, or, or the, to the Christian faith more generally, the issue becomes: What are we talking about? And there are two questions: What's happening when we're deconstructing something, and what is it that we are deconstructing? Hmm. So the, I want to say that there are six different f phenomena that are happening that that overlap and are interrelated, but can be distinguished from each other when under the big banner of deconstruction. And it's super unhelpful just to shout into the void, deconstruction. people are deconstructing because it's sexy. <laughs> or people are deconstructing for street crime. Right. Because I, I think there are at least six different things that are happening that currently fit under the banner of deconstruction that need to be clarified. Right, and right. then I think there are three different things that are. I'm, I'm just in a list mood today, Tim yeah, Stafford. Two, we just did two things. You yes. said say those again so we can regroup. Yeah. So so yes. So deconstruction. Uh, we want to look at two different questions about deconstruction. A. What, what is happening to people when they deconstruct? And I want to say there are six different things happening, and they right. can't all be called deconstruction. Right. Uh, so there's a ton of confusion about what that means. And then I want to ask the question, well, what are people deconstructing? And, it, uh, and at least there are three things at least that people are deconstructing. Two categories. Two categories, one of six. One of three. One of three. Let's I do know. it. I know. It's glorious. But my point in, you know, slipping into list mode is to simply say that, that the, the critiquing of deconstruction as a general category um, is immensely unhelpful and generates the kind of reaction we're seeing. It doesn't, it, totally. it, it is not helpful in, in my mind. So um, this is my pushback ultimately to, and I, I don't think Josh would disagree um, but even after our interview, I wasn't super clear on what he meant by deconstruction. Right. Um, and I, I don't know. I think the kind of clarity I'm seeking to offer is what I, I want to talk about. And so we get away from the phrase deconstruction and use these other phrases instead. Yeah. Right. So there are six of them. Are you ready, Tim Stafford? I am ready. 
Okay, I think there are six things that are commonly called deconstruction. Disillusionment, and they're all Ds. I was just gonna say, I sure hope so. <laughs> they're all Ds, baby. <laughs> and, and no Ds nuts jokes from you today. Fair enough. Tim Stafford. Disillusionment, discipleship, deconversion, redefinition, doubt, and disorientation. All right. I think there are six different things that get grouped into this label and not specifying which one we're talking about is super unhelpful. Yeah. All right? So I'm going to go through this list a couple of times. So that was just naming, naming the list. The six Ds. Right. I know. And I, I'm sorry this is so clunky and not great for podcasting, but now I'm going to go through them with like a paragraph and then there are a couple I want to explore. All right. Okay. All right. So disillusionment by disillusionment, I mean the church. I thought the church was this, and it turned out to be this. Right. And it's crushing me. I thought, uh, shouldn't the church be leading um, creation care? And yes. it's not. Shouldn't the church be the most, the people who are most open to conversations about immigration or race or systemic sin? And, you know, for a lot of the church, we're not. Shouldn't the church um, be seeking to love uh, its neighbor and yet we're fighting over vaccines and masks, right? So there's this just general disillusionment that happens that is different from just deconstructing, but right. we're, we're crushed. We're crushed by what's happening. The leaders that fail, the movements that turn out to be built on foundations that aren't um, safe or solid, um, right. that, that they're just, they're, there is this general disenfranchisement. That's another word. Oh, my goodness. Yes. This is a sub-D of the first D. <laughs> or, or a disenchantment with um, <laughs> the, the, the thing, that whether it's the Bible, whether it's the church, but there's just, it's like, wow, none of, look at, look at the fruit of this. Right. Look at the fruit of this. So, so disillusionment, number one. Number two, discipleship, which is um, seeking to reform and reclaim the original Christian vision. You know, it's, it's like it happens in little ways when we grow up and realize, oh, um, salvation is bigger than what I thought it was. Uh, the Bible is more complex than what I thought it was. Um, oh, I, I have to work to separate individualism from uh, my reading of the Bible, right? That's just discipleship. That's seeking to follow Christ more faithfully in the world. Deconversion is, is what I think a lot of people are critiquing, which is the process of very publicly renouncing right. um, one's former beliefs and then engaging in sort of the cynical mocking um, of the fools that still buy this stuff. Right. And, and a closely associated to that is redefinition. I think this also gets under the burr of Joshua Ryan and Matt Chandler and others who critique it. Redefinition just means redefining the Christian faith to suit modern sensibilities. Right. So the parts of the Bible where we're just like, no way, man. God genocide, really? God's sexuality, really? Now, I'm not saying this is yeah. happening in those areas, but those are the areas where we're tempted to redefine for sure. Right. Um, and so I think there's a, a lot of concern that redefining ultimately leads to deconversion. But redefining is a separate thing where you're just going, you know, really, did God uh, out of wrath kill his son? Like, that's offensive to us. Are there other ways to understand this? Yeah. Um, um, men having power over women in all cases and circumstances, that seems wrong. We need to know, and, and I'm not saying redefining is always bad. It can be part of discipleship, but it can also be part of deconversion. Right. Um, and, and so I do think those are things that are genuinely happening. Uh, number one, two, three, four, five doubt. <laughs> doubt. Just doubt. Just, Just doubt. Yeah. Hey, we're preaching no a virgin birth and a resurrection and, a, and an inspired Bible. Really? Yeah. Really? I mean, it's just doubt. You're, it, it's not some big process. It's just 
I don't buy this. And it's not, totally. it's not because you're, you have any other aim other than I don't understand Trinity. What in the <laughs> world is that? How do we Neo? know this wasn't, how do we know this wasn't just made up by, by men? How do we know the Bible isn't the product of just human imagination? It's like, those are legit questions. Yeah. And um, and I think everybody goes through a period, or at least they should, where they have authentic doubts about whether or not this is true. Yeah. And then the last one, disorientation. This is from um, this is from Walter Brueggemann, and he has this typology. Yeah, we've had him on, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. I have his cell number. Um, oh. I've never used, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's there if I ever need it. But Brueggemann has this typology of the Psalms that we've talked about, you know, years ago on the podcast. Uh, he talks the he calls them Psalms of orientation, right. Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of reorientation. Right. And um, Psalms of orientation are things like life is good, God is good all the time, God is good. I mean, the, it's a fixed moral universe, and it's clear, and it's constant, and it's consistent, and boom. Um, it, it makes sense. Um, disorientation, or, or what some call the dark night of the soul, mm -hmm. is where circumstances fall apart, and you're left with everything's not clear. God, why are you absent? Why are you distant? It's totally within the covenant yeah. framework. But but all the, the simplistic cliches and answers don't make sense anymore. It's not that you're doubting whether or not they're true. They don't fit your experience. And, um, and so disorientation, there are all sorts of psalms. God, where are you? Why don't you listen to me? Why do I cry to you? Why do you stand so far off? And then Psalms of Reorientation are Psalms that, that proclaim the goodness of God, but they do so acknowledging the complexity of what His goodness means. You know, His goodness means that there, there isn't time spent in the pit or in the valley of the shadow of death or whatever. Um, those things are real, and God is with us in those. And so disorientation um, provokes in covenant um, a increasing fidelity, but it also produces an, a, 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 a comfortability with the complexity of the moral universe. It's not as clear as we thought in yeah. orientation. Make sense? Yep. So disorientation is the 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 D for this list. Yes. Out of yes. those three, but those yep. are but it works in tandem or what's a three way triumvirate with the other with orientation and reorientation. Absolutely. There we go. So, so we've got disillusionment, discipleship, deconversion, redefinition, doubt, and disorientation. And uh, I only see two of these that could could be concerning. And yet, the whole thing. I mean, imagine if you're in the middle of your child is dying with cancer and your soul is crushed, and being mm. told that deconversion is sexy. Imagine yeah. being a person of color or a woman. And seeing the historical work being done on how the, the Christian movement um, has pressed into the text uh, patriarchal uh, cultural stereotypes and, and white supremacist uh, ideals yes. that aren't in the text, but they've been used to justify um, oppression and mistreatment. I mean, and you're just told you're doing that because it's sexy. Right. Or people who have legitimate questions that, that, hey, why do we believe someone rose from the dead? And, and people, and people are told they're doing that because it's sexy. Or, or you genuinely want to follow Jesus better, but the American freaking church is a mess and we're doing that because it's sexy. I just think that's, I, I think that's so misguided and I think it's harmful. Yes. Um, to the people in these different processes. So if you want to say, hey, deconversion is sexy, okay. If you want to say redefinition is sexy, we just want to alter God to fit our modern sensibilities, okay. I'm sure those things are happening. Um, but even then, as a pastor, you should take the time to have that conversation and not just throw... Who knows yes. what led to a deconversion or what totally. led to a... Because just... all of these can be happening at once. 
um, there, there's overlap between them. It's not a fixed, discrete sort of set of categories. I mean, often right. you're in the middle of disorientation, so you begin to doubt. And as part of your doubt, you're totally disillusioned with the picture of God you got from your church. And so you want to redefine your picture of God, and that can either lead you to deeper discipleship or deconversion altogether. I mean, yeah. this isn't a static process. These aren't discrete categories. They all relate. But the huge point in this is just lumping them all under deconstruction is really, really unhelpful. And then secondly, um, to say, to, to try to predetermine what category someone's in actually harms the process they're in, right? Because it will cement them either towards redefinition or deconversion. If they're welcomed with honesty, if they're welcomed with permission and grace and presence, and yes, of course, um, with the beautiful center of Jesus, absolutely. The odds are great that this that the arc and trajectory could bend towards discipleship versus deconversion, but to just be met with, well, you're just in the middle of redefining your faith, my goodness, that you're, you're guaranteeing that's not gonna end well. So pastorally, what I want to, what I would love to see happen is when somebody says, "I am deconstructing my faith," we don't look for four causes and we don't accuse them of being sexy. I'm trying to figure out what category of these are they in. Yes, and not, not so that I can tell them that category and condemn or affirm right. that category, but rather people who are doubting. Um, they need permission. People who are disoriented need presence. People who are redefining need to need somebody to help them hold the center of Jesus as they're exploring all of these other things. People who are discipling, my goodness, um, we uh, I'm trying to think of another P. We got D's and we got P's. You know, there's a sense in we and for people who and for people who are disillusioned, permission to there be disillusioned go. and lament, right? What they don't need is like, well, it seems like you're you're in the middle of a season of doubt, um, and then and then to be judged for that, or you're, I mean, so over making oh, the well, point. Just even the shepherd and the sheep, like the one sheep walks away, and if the shepherd stood there with the rest of them, it was like, God, there goes Francis again. <laughs> that dumb sheep. That stupid sheep. Right, and that's not the picture we get of what God's like. No. So, so, and, and this, isn't, this isn't some holy list or anything, and I'm no expert. I'm just saying these are the realities that I've experienced personally that we, you and I have talked about and we've explored yes. on the podcast. And then the people in both church community and podcast community who tell their stories, this, this is like a no-brainer if you work with people, which I assume most <laughs> pastors do, that... Anyone who's met more than two people in their lives know how differently people are wired. Yeah. And how, you know, every person's journey is different that brings them to the particular room that you're sitting in or whatever. So even like I just, even with that those six categories like knowing that people bring so much nuance and like singular Absolutely. whatever to that place that you just can't like to throw blanket things at people like that's like you have no idea what brought somebody to yeah. be disillusioned or whatever. Yep. Like it, it's, a, yep. it's just, it's a bummer. <laughs> yep. So yes. So, and none of these, none of these are causes necessarily, um, but they can just be what the person's going through. And, um, and I, and I think how we meet people who are in these different places is really, really important, but shares a number of things in common like presence, permission, safety, honesty, lament. Um, you know, things. some of the things that Josh would say are helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I had a friend of mine um, just say, so, so as I'm in the middle of all of this unraveling, what are handholds mm. that I can hold on to? Um, you know, when, when, when does the deconstruct, de- deconstruction stop? And, and he's meaning it... Um, in discipleship terms, like he's right. he's he's been disillusioned, he's gone through doubt, um, but he still wants to be faithful to Jesus, and and so there there is a time where handholds are appropriate. And I'm like, well, 
you, he's a listener to the podcast and a, a supporter of us, so he's listened to everything. And I was like, well, you're not going to be shocked, but here's where I go. Um, I go to the Gospels, and I go to the Lord's Prayer, and I just do those. And if you want more specific than that, go to the Sermon on the Mount. And there it is. Those are my handholds. How beautiful Jesus is, praying that his kingdom will come in my myself, my marriage, my kids, my family, my work, and the earth. Um, and then thanking him for daily bread and the way he goes before me in uh, temptation. Uh, all of those things. Those are the, my handholds. And that's a great question to ask in the middle of yeah, this. Yeah, totally. So, but if somebody was doubting... Um, or somebody was disoriented, I mean, I might still give them the same handholds, but I wouldn't do it as directly, right? Exactly. I'd sit first yeah. and listen first. And, and I'm not saying that Josh or Matt wouldn't at all. Um, I, I don't know them well enough uh, to know. I know uh, Josh seems like just a great and genuine lover of people. And, um, but but I, I just am like, ah, I, I think there's so much nuance. And I think that was a big part of the pushback is these aren't causes. Um, there's, there are different processes at work under this banner and labeling without distinguishing um, isn't, isn't super helpful. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying there aren't negative things happening. Of course there are. There, even reconstructing and discipling, there, there's all sorts of nonsense we've got to be careful of. So, um, but the big point is a lot of people are, quote, deconstructing in order to save their faith, not to lose it. Exactly. That's the big point. And they feel like they have to do it to save it. Otherwise, yeah. they, they would jettison the whole thing. And so just to say it's sexy, no. No, I, yeah. I just don't think that's a fair statement. I All am right. one of those people. I'd imagine most people, <clears throat> when they think about their... <laughs> you know, I don't. I want. I don't want to use any cliched terms because I feel like all of it takes away. I was gonna say faith journey. So whatever your <laughs> story, like what I, everybody's gonna have something that was triggering in one way or another that caused them to rethink or yeah, or it could be a, a combination of things. Yeah, totally. So anyway, so that's that's big point number one. That's why that hey. Brueggemann thing is so helpful. Oh my goodness! And I remember yes. reading that when I was teaching something on the Psalms and and reading through that section of his writing on that, and just seeing that that's like a that progression is a natural progression, and watching that those are that that middle piece, that disorientation piece, is something that's part of the whole structure, and and like, is necessary. Yes, it's. I think I mean, that's and, the thing that gets missed is like when we when people are out there like talking down to f people who are struggling or thinking through things or whatever is that this is a healthy piece of yeah. the puzzle it, I, in in a lot of cases that is true um all right so the second question we want to ask is what are we deconstructing and this isn't clarified either under the deconstructing is sexy banner it seems like there are at least three things and there's i'm sure there's a lot more but here are three big categories of what we're deconstructing all right and of course they overlap and are related number one what letter what's the letter for this i no no letter oh i, I hated myself we so after close. i did i hated myself after after all the d's that i just decided <laughs> okay well i'm just gonna go with whatever so one thing that people are deconstructing is historic orthodox christianity um, and that's Josh's category of did God really say, right? You know, and and that is happening absolutely. Um, some of the central pieces of the tradition handed down um, are questioned and redefined and jettisoned. And at that point, you're not, you know, when somebody says, "Hey, the resurrection didn't really happen," but you know, God kind of is a fan of new beginnings. Right. Well, you've you've just you've 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 deconstructed like the the main, <laughs> the main, <laughs> the main <foundation>. point, <laughs> yeah, the, right, and 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 so yes, I mean that could be deconversion, absolutely. So there are people who are deconstructing historic Orthodox Christianity. Uh, secondly, there are people who are deconstructing American evangelicalism, um, and and all of the ways in which. 
historic Orthodox Christianity has been corrupted by American evangelicalism. Now, the problem, and this, <coughs> this is where it gets so messy, is people have confused historic Orthodox Christianity with American evangelicalism so right. that it feels like if you're critiquing and interrogating and distancing yourself from American evangel evangelistic expressions of evangelical, excuse me, expressions of Christianity, that you're distancing yourself from historic Orthodox Christianity, but that's not necessarily the case. And I would argue it's, it's, it's almost never the case. Um, there is so much of American evangelicalism that we were handed that has turned out to be corrupted by whether it's capitalism or whether it's racism or whether it's patriarchy or whether it's individualism or consumerism. Um, There's so many dynamics at play that to, to, to deconstruct those things for those who've defined American expressions of Christianity as the only historic Orthodox Christianity, then of course it feels like we're throwing away the faith. Yeah. That's where I think Chandler and some of the reformed people really get tripped up is they've defined the gospel in only this way. And um, therefore, if you are deconstructing, oh, it's not just forgiveness of sins and it's not just individual salvation. It's much bigger than that. Oh, then you're questioning historic Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. We're saying, no, not at all. Historic Orthodox Christianity actually teaches the bigger version and um, American evangelicalism has given us the shrunken version. So right. that's a big, I think that is a huge point. I agree. Um, uh, that needs to be nuanced when we're talking about what people are deconstructing. And then the third, the third one that ties into these first two is um, our inherited culture and beliefs. And this happens naturally and normally, right? We, for those of us who grew up in church, we went to camp and youth group and heard sermons and saw flannel graphs. And you realize just naturally as you mature that there's a bit more complexity to this. <laughs> and... Hopefully. And yeah, hopefully you do. And you begin to ask questions. I mean, I meant hopefully it, there's more complexity to it. Yes, absolutely. Imagine if that was the whole thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If uh, the whole universe could be depicted on a flannel graph. Right, right. Well, yeah, you read the Noah and the Ark story as an adult, and you're like, oh, this probably isn't a Sunday school story. Um, this was, <laughs> you know. Unless you're going to include all the dead bodies and animals totally. in the water. Um, and, and that's normal, right? That's, that's a normal thing. We call it making my faith my own or don't check my brain yeah. at the door, right? I mean, those are like, oh, that's supposed to happen. So, but So I, can, I see, again, interlap between those three, but they're three different things that are being deconstructed, right? To deconstruct orthodox, the faith of the apostles, that's one thing. To, to deconstruct American evangelicalism, that's a different thing. And to, to question the, my inherited subculture and its particulars, that's a different thing still. Man, and you should have so much grace in this country for anyone that's in that second category or third category. Like, But they get confused, but it gets confused with the first one. Yeah. And that's Isn't the point. That, yeah. And that's just why such a, I mean, when the entire rug is pulled out from underneath you, that's very scary and disorienting. Yeah. And the whole universe feels fractured around you. You should have a shit ton of grace for people that are feeling like that. Yeah. That's my, and, and that's a, my a lot of grace for people who aren't in that spot too. The danger yeah. is the people in disorientation judge the people in orientation Right, and so you have fundamentalism and judgment right. on both yep. sides. Totally, yep. So and I'm not a lot of grace on the third one. Uh, Reorientation. That's that's part of the definition of the third one is grace. Yeah. You're not in the third one unless you have grace for the other two. Right. Um, if you're if you're really judgy, your odds are you're in the first. Um, but we did a whole thing on stages of spiritual maturity that makes a similar. Oh point. yeah. Way back, it was like number 64, number 65, way back in the day. But all that is to say, the, and the, the picture we're trying to paint is um, 
the 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 fact and and i'm sure i'm sure uh people who are sort of condemning this would admit there are all sorts of nuance and complexity attached to this and they have something very specific in mind that they are um pointing at but let's just stop using the term deconstruction for the catch-all because there's so many different parts and so many different arenas uh, of that deconstructing that I just think, unless we're very specific. And part of, part of my deconstruction was the recognition that historic Orthodox Christianity wasn't American evangelicalism and it yeah. wasn't the subculture I was raised in. And that what the, the Bible presented was a much bigger picture that is far uh, more beautiful. And, and this is where Gombas, Gombas had a, he gives this great, he has a little kind of riff on deconstruction. He just doesn't like the metaphor. He doesn't like the building and tearing down metaphor. Um, and he gives two that I think are great. Two others, he says, you know, a better image of what deconstruction is, is like exploring a national park. Right, um, and you you walk into a little bit of it, and then you realize it's huge. I mean, I remember my oldest son Nate. We the first time we went to a, a a park. I don't remember if it was Wild Animal Park or Disney, whatever. There's a gift shop right when you walk in, yeah. and he sees the toys in the gift shop, and we're just in the gift shop, and he's enamored with the gift shop, and you're like, hey, bro, guess guess what? <laughs> <laughs> Like there's a there's a much bigger uh, picture, and so I thought, wow, that's that's a really powerful picture. The other, because the kingdom of God isn't a set of beliefs; it's a reality. And part of how we talk about deconstruction is we make it about believing, and um, it's not that. The goal isn't to believe rightly. Um, the The goal is to live faithfully. And that requires right believings, but it's never the point of them. Um, and so, so that was one example he gave. The other example he gave is like living into an identity. Um, the kingdom of God is also a status in the world. It's a, a reality that not only we live in, but that we embody and are named into. And so we've talked before about how... Um, uh, like marriage in the kingdom we're named something before we actually become it right and um, so i became a husband before i actually knew what it meant to be one and then yeah. we grow into that identity over time and, and that's deconstruction so so there there are old pieces of old creation that are true of me that have to die and pieces of new creation that are um, true of me that I have to be put on. The old creation was true of me, but now it's it's got to be excised out because it's no longer who I really am, right? So Yeah, those are such great examples. And then we were talking a little bit about premarital counseling before we started recording. And even with that, within that example, like how much more sense it would be to have post-marital counseling yes. rather than pre because you are blind going in Yes, but once you yes. start kind of like being involved in it, and it's the same thing, even on with that metaphorically, like you know the, yeah, I don't want to say ignorance. There's the the lack of, um, <laughs> the lack of knowledge or the lack of scope, maybe. Yeah, on well, the front it, it, side of something in the gift shop, like totally. being with somebody as they're already as they're transitioning from the gift shop into the reality. That line that you just said, though, the this is a reality, not a set of beliefs is that how you said it yeah i think that's a really really important yes distinction. yes now you have to believe rightly because those believings yeah. get you in touch with reality but we but, tend to stop there and just make it that li it's the boundary totally. versus center focus totally existence. absolutely so so the goal of my wife isn't to believe things about my marriage the goal of my relationship with my wife is to love her well right right and for us to faithfully embody the way of jesus and there now, are beliefs of how to do that like yes don't go sleep with your neighbor's wife and right. that's not loving your wife and right so on and so forth yes my wife i mean believing my wife is trustworthy believing right. my wife is lovable 
believing um, our marriage is worth it. You know, those are right, right beliefs that matter, of course. But um, the goal of them is just to facilitate the reality. And if they don't facilitate the reality, then I really don't believe them. Right. And totally. so there's a massive, you know, and th this is where we get into doubt and faith, right? When we talk about for those who yep. doubt, doubt is only threatening to people who think that faith is psychological certainty. Right? If faith right. is just psychological certainty, then doubt, of course, is threatening. But doubt, if, it, if, if, if it's not seen in, in contrast to psychological certainty, is a welcome and needed aspect of any relationship, yep. right? And for those of us who sit at, in 20 years of marriage, there are parts that you doubt, you know? It, does yes. this, is this right? I, is this still a good thing? I mean, am I, am I up for this? I mean, there's, those yes. are legitimate questions that you ask. And you have to answer them and be honest about them. Or, you know, you'll step out of the reality at some point if they're not acknowledged and, you know, uh, talked through and lived into. Yes. So, um, so all that is to say... I was, I was really captured by Gombus's um, metaphors that that brought a different kind of relational dynamic or spatial dynamic to what yeah, is typically spatial. something that we think we just do in our heads. Yeah. Well, I used to believe women couldn't be leaders, and now I believe they can. Well, that's a belief, and that I think that's a very important belief, and I think that's a good believing that's more faithful than the to the text than the other way. Um, but, but reconstructing and deconstructing are, have little to do with your mental affirmation of that belief. Um, it's much more about the reality you're stepping into and embodying. And that's where virtue signaling and social media just gets so, it gets so harmful because yeah. what's important is just being seen to have the right opinion, whether or not you live it. Um, and, um, so anyway, I mean that we could go on a that's whole a riff. Bit, that's a, you know, I think that's a really profound and important, you know, like I've mentioned before, like, talking to my students about social media and how to exist in that, especially cause they are the first generation that have grown up oh. with that technology in their hands. We all transitioned into it at some point, but they have had it from day one and learning how to do that, how to like understand existence with other people as a spatial reality that has these organic yeah. interactions and things like that versus going with because social media is not going to go anywhere like yeah unless there's like a big emp bomb that goes off and kills all of electronics in the world which is likely not going to happen it's going to be here so we have to learn together how to do this right. and going by those old ways will lead to destruction yes not yep, deconstruction exactly. just destruction <laughs> well and when you when you combine that and you're absolutely right tim that's such a great point when you combine that with paul's idea that um torah can be used in old creation kinds of ways that facilitate death and wrath or yep. it can be used in new creation ways that facilitate life and spirit you you realize oh my goodness um part of part of the deconstruction is the putting away of using the bible in old creation ways and putting on the bible in new creation ways right i mean it, yep, and that's absolutely. true of church that's true of sexuality um and so it's not just part of just believing is old creation right even the demons believe the demons <laughs> affirm Right, the reality of who Jesus is. Yep, totally. New creation life. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just. I I love it when all the pieces come together at the end. <laughs> it's, just, was, it's just wonderful when it's the A team. <laughs> Remember when a plan yeah. comes together? I love it when a plan comes together. But that's so true. Both those examples, both the the way that Scripture and God's Word can be used in both directions. Totally. And the same thing, yeah. It's just, it's absolutely true. And the the demons, yes, all of that. Yeah, I'm just, or church. I'm just to quote Josh, just saying yes and amen to that. Yes. Well, you can you can do church in a way that just facilitates old creation, or you can absolutely. do church in a way that facilitates new creation. Yep. Right. So so we're constantly, and and that's where 
if you just make this about believing, you miss all of the dynamics. You actually are still part of the old creation wrath system. Because then what you do with those beliefs is you either have pride for believing them, you judge others who don't, you exclude and include based on whether or not someone agrees with you or not. And those are all old creation ways of living. The new creation way totally. of the, the table of Jesus is about hospitality with even those you know, with whom you disagree. And the recognition that none of us um, get to judge each other unless we've dealt with the plank in our own eyes first. And, um, and so, so for those of us who are trying to live into the reality of the kingdom in all of its new creation fullness, then even having right beliefs, that is the barest of starting points. Yeah. Um, and because Americans don't distinguish between what I say I believe and what I think I believe versus what I really believe because of how I live, because we don't make those distinctions, we just call all of it faith and, and reduce it down to its lowest common denominator. Do you agree with our statement of faith? Yeah, and, you're standing um, in that gift shop of the Grand Canyon looking at a small pamphlet of it saying, I believe that this is a Yeah, a this is an accurate map of the, the park. Yep. Then you and walk then you outside, just, get the fresh air in your face, you look at the grand scope of the Grand Canyon, you hike down and you're tired and you feel the soreness, all that stuff. And you realize the map. the pamphlet. Yes, the map, the map was true, but the map wasn't couldn't lying. capture exactly yeah the map i mean and that's where i look at the bible and i'm like the bible is true but it doesn't capture exactly the reality of the kingdom and it's not you know? intending to well it couldn't by its very nature i mean it's a reality yeah. and so what the bible does is what we've talked about it world builds yep it it shows us symbols signs and stories of what what it's like in this new reality and then invites us to participate Yep, I love it. You know, and then and then the reality it says is self fulfilling, so that as you live into the reality, it affirms itself in ways that you can't <laughs> be. It can't be affirmed standing outside of it. Yep. So until you forgive, you can't really believe that forgiveness is better, uh, or until you're generous, you can't believe that being generous is better than hoarding, or being humble is better than yeah. status seeking. Uh, until you step into that reality. And that's why Jesus, you know, he does the, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But he only says that after he says, uh, if you obey my commands, you are truly my disciple, then you will know the truth. Well, he's talking about yeah. you have to step into the reality of the thing. It's with marriage, right? That's why premarital counseling isn't always super helpful because yes. you're not living in the reality of the thing you're telling them about. Yeah. Um, and therefore they cannot, by definition, understand exactly, um, what it is that you're talking about. Same with, you know, like when non-parents give me parenting advice, I just right. go, Hmm, well, I appreciate, Thanks. I appreciate your thoughts on that. <laughs> you know, I have, I, and I disregard it immensely. I mean, there's just, I don't even take, even if it's true, I'm just like, nah, you don't even know what yeah. you're talking about. So there are these realities that we're invited to step into, and, and some of the healthy deconstruction we're seeing are jettisoning, jettisoning the pieces of our inherited culture that include American evangelicalism that don't represent the reality well, or they distort it. Yeah, I mean, with that example, like you, if you grow up in a family that's just built on greed or a household that's built on greed and you don't know any different, but then you start to become disillusioned with it or whatever, to understand the idea of generosity is one thing, but to participate in generosity, but you have to like, there's that moment where you have to let go of the greed yes. and say, I'm going to participate in generosity. And that's a, that's a scary Absolutely. moment because if your house is built on greed and greed is a key feature in that household, that's terrifying. It is Whether terrifying. you know it's wrong or not, it's still terrifying to let go of what is familiar and what you know is home. Absolutely. And, and there's a sense of belonging not just comfort and familiarity, but there's a sense Absolutely. of belonging. When you step away from the predominant values of your tribe to embrace the upside down values of the kingdom, that you know is a very isolating thing too. So just to say, hey, we're doing this because it's sexy, again, I think just misses a point. Maybe there's some pieces that, are, that, that fall into that category and trap. But even then... I wouldn't sit and just judge, announce that, no. 
Yeah. I would sit with somebody and, and, and ask the further questions of, okay, so where is this coming from? Because it's not happening in a vacuum, yeah. uh, most likely. So anyway, I don't know. Those are thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah some thoughts. Those are some thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Seth Thomas is leaning on my shoulder, looking longingly at Tim Ooh. Stafford. Yeah, <laughs> it's the best. So, Timothy, that's what I got. And I, and I, I, you know, I would never do this unless someone specifically said, hey, do this. But it would be fun to go into those six places and talk yeah. about the what's and the why's and what's needed, you know, in those, in those places. Yeah. Like, we started to do that with the P's. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, permission to be disillusioned and presence for those who are in disorientation and whatever. But like, I do think um, we can create communities that both keep the beautiful center of Jesus. As right. a as somebody who is a Christ follower, I don't want to ever get away from that picture. Like, I want yeah. my life to be centered on Jesus, and I want to help be the kind of person that embodies the beauty of his kingdom in person. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't want to ever be unclear about that. But how we do that today um, is, is so important in light of all the stuff we've talked about. Yes. And I think there are ways that we can create communities that point to Jesus faithfully um, without um, you know, holding on to the historic testimony about him, uh, but also acknowledge what's happening and really what's happening in people without you know shaming and judging them for what's happening and so i think both yeah. are possible and both are true and be fun to talk about yeah i agree good i agree with your agreement <laughs> well this is this is i think this is such an important conversation because the last four years have most of those categories that people that have caused people to enter into this deconstruction whatever have just been like the bandaid has been ripped off. Yeah. Of and so the like th this is an ongoing conversation and is maybe possibly the new the new normal for a while is just yeah. yep. sorting through the debris and I think that's okay and I think that we all need to be a part of that together and something that I really always appreciate with Jewish tradition is how many of their traditions are based on just sitting with other people through things. Mm. And I, we don't mm. do, we do not do that. We're not mm. like, we're not Shiva people. We don't do that. Mm -mm. And then we, and we would benefit, I think a lot from the practice of just being with people and sitting with people in the debris and remembering that we had moments of debris ourselves and yada, yada, yada. But yeah. And, and, and playing the long game of yes. Why, why would I ever take a snapshot? of even a year or two of a, of a 60, 70, 80 year life yeah. and draw conclusions from that. Yep. You know, it's like, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. But I still want to, and you know, that's the, that's the tenants that we're all it's fighting. Easier in the and, of this. Yeah. It's easier. And it's what we've, we're all, I mean, that's what we grew up in. Yes. And it's safer because those things turn out to be all self-justifying. Right. Well, I, My, no, I was reading, uh, what was it? Oh, in John and when Jesus gives that hard teaching and a bunch of the people are just like, nah, and they all kind of walk away. And then Jesus <laughs> turns to the disciples like, are, are you guys thinking about leaving too? And Peter's just kind of like, there's nothing better than this. Like I, yeah. this is a struggle and this is difficult and stuff, but like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Where else would we go? Yeah. There's moments like that where it's like, sometimes it's like, yeah, you know, I'll cling to that one thing in that moment and that'll be that time period but yep you know yep that's exact boy Good that's really Peter. oh he speaks for all of us so so often um no i think that's a great point tim there there are moments when literally you just stand in nothing more than all right well i don't want to go anywhere else so i'm going to stay right here and <laughs> yep i love it try to figure it what out a human human moment in that that piece of scripture. Oh, totally. I mean, I love when Jude, you know, he just has this great line, be merciful to those who doubt. Um, 
you know, I mean, I'm just, there it is. All right. Anyway, we've rambled long enough. <laughs> Seth, do you want to say goodbye to everybody? Yeah. You want to do our blessing? Yeah, thank He's been you. waiting right. patiently. He has been waiting patiently. Do you want to pray for us? Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's pray. Let's pray. Okay, close your eyes, Tim. Close your eyes, Tim. And close your eyes, Tim. I can go. All right. Eyes are closed, buddy. Yep. Okay, here goes. Here it goes. Um, thank God. Um, thank you all this day. Thank you for this day. Uh, thank you so much to Voxology Podcast. Thank you so much for Voxology for, Podcast. For, it, um, for recording it. Uh, for, for people. For the people. For sisters. For Jesus, yep. For making it help. Make it help forgive. Make it help people forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well done, Seth Thomas. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for walking the long road with us.